0: You're listening to Case for Kinky, and we're your friendly neighborhood Kingsters Jen and Eden. And today, we're talking about something that is near and dear to our hearts. And our dynamic. And our dynamic. What's it called again? <laughs> I forgot. Our dynamic, it's called no, Divine. No, the, t- the name of the episode. Today's episode is called Dynamic Resuscitation. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, you're so
1: cute. <laughs> Shut up. Hello, and welcome to the K's for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist,
0: just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. Um, people don't understand why she's so cute. And then she does shit like that. Also, sorry, I just have to share this morning. Miss Jen was still in bed and she was oh way past bedtime. or like way No, up I wasn't. I was trying to give you more time. You can say whatever you want to justify okay, what you were doing. Up, hold up. Hold okay, up. Okay,
1: so normally our regimen in the morning <laughs> is Eden gets up at 830. My alarm goes off at 9. And in that half hour, she has certain things that really stop messing with your mic she has certain things that she's supposed to do mainly get the coffee started um (laughs) but there's other stuff too and it has happened before that when i have gotten up early and she has not had her half hour time she gets fussy because she's like you're not supposed to be out here yet yeah so last night we we had dinner um, with, with some friends. We came home. We were exhausted, And all week, like, we've had to – one or both of us has had to get up early. So we were like – we both said, let's sleep in, which means that it's still going to be the structure of you're getting up a half an hour before I do to get the things done the same way. I leave bed this morning. No, I didn't, <laughs> didn't
0: finish <laughs> the setting first it thing, up. The first thing that happens, <laughs> it's 8.30, and I send her an Instagram post that she needed to see – thinking that she'd see it when she woke up she turns over pulls out her earplugs and starts laughing at me because she's been lying awake for 20 minutes thinking i was asleep and i was lying awake for 20 minutes thinking she was asleep so now we're both awake and yeah, giggling apparently the
1: plan of sleeping in just doesn't happen yeah
0: so we're giggling then she goes let the cats in and i'm like i don't think we should let them in so i get up and i let the cats in and immediately echo jumps on her and she goes oh
1: Okay, he jumped right on my boob. And I'm sorry, but Echo is heavy. And it was all of his weight on on one
0: paw. They cuddled a lot with us. And then I got up and I started to go about the morning routine. I like went to feed them and stuff. Because it's
1: not often that we wake up. And are both awake in bed together. Yeah. Because like I said, normally you get up a half an hour before me and I am still so, so asleep.
0: So I'm out there doing all the tasks and stuff. And I'm like, this is really convenient. She's not up yet. But like, when is she going to get up? Because it's really late. And I know she has like an early morning today. So finally, after all my tasks are done, and she's, this woman is still not out of bed. Because I figured I had till 930 so I that walk, you could have your time. This is the cutest thing ever. I walk in. She's laying in bed on her phone. So cute. Oh, and I go, what are you doing? And she goes... She throws her hands above her head like a baby and goes, "I'm on TikTok." No, I was stretching. You threw your hands I didn't and went, throw my hands. I'm up on TikTok, and God. it was the cutest thing I've ever this seen is, in my I feel entire like this life. Is not an accurate description. It was fully accurate and adorable, and I was just like, "How is she this cute?" how can no one know that she's this cute because she always acts all like tough and dignified in public now you've
1: outed me and
0: then at home she's like I'm a kitty cat," and she's just it's just (laughs) adorable she's an adorable person
1: I Um, don't typically lay in bed after I wake up because normally I have to get up real quick to pee I don't get a lot of opportunities once I wake up I have to get up right away and now I could just lay in bed and it was kind of cool and nice to just lay in bed it was adorable
0: you were delightful you wanted to play with cats in the morning your first act was wanting to cuddle with cats and your second act was playing on TikTok and then announcing it in the cutest way possible, and now here we are. Um, This episode is an interesting one because it's called Dynamic Resuscitation, and it hits close to home for us because we are pretty transparent about the fact that our dynamic is a constant work in progress. Um, So today, we are going to talk about what we've done that does work and things that we did that in retrospect, weren't the best and how we're currently restructuring or resuscitating our dynamic um, to make it stronger, healthier and more sustainable. The reason we want to talk about this uh, besides just, you know, enjoying sharing our story is that we have met quite a few other 24-7 DS people who have been struggling because it's pretty common actually to struggle with DS when it's 24-7 live together overlap And long-term. Yeah. Um, And I also think this is really applicable for people who are considering getting into DS Dynamics or who want to build one. Um, At basically any stage in DS, I think this episode would be helpful to hear. So we're going to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit on our relationship, how we built it. But I think it's good that we started off with talking about how fucking cute Miss Jen is because I will tell you something (sighs) – you're going to hear some stuff today about things that didn't work well or things that we had to adjust. But the biggest reason we are still together, um, besides because of how
1: fucking cute I
0: am. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is the glue that holds our relationship together. Um, also we love each other. We love each other. Uh, we were from the very beginning mutually attracted to each other, which is very rare for her. Um, and, she, I just love her. I love the hell out of her. Um, our devotion to each other, our determination to build a life together, and our willingness to kind of buckle down and get through harder things while still striving towards better communication and better standards is why we didn't call it quits or walk away when things got hard. And I kind of want to hold space for that because DS takes time and a lot of management and pruning to keep alive. But love is a very powerful factor, I think, and, and devotion is a very powerful factor. Yeah. Thanks for singing that copyrighted song on the podcast. Oh my god, dude, bro, that's the music. I mean, it's badly sung, so they probably won't get us for it. So, oh my god. So let's start from the beginning really fast here, uh, and let's open this up to people at large for a second. Very common scenario occurred. I was new. I came into the scene. Uh, I found a person that I found attractive who was a D-type, and I identified as an S-type. And we were both interested in each other and started trying to form a dynamic together. Um, this relationship collaboratively was both romantic, sexual, and DS all simultaneously. Um and I think that's a pretty common occurrence. Some people do start DS just as DS, or they se- separate romance and sex from DS and things like that. But I I, I think it's pretty, pretty uh, frequent that we hear stories of people coming in and just sort of immediately getting into dynamics. Um, definitely what we tell people to do is get to know the scene, get to know yourself before you start dating and doing these things. But um, in our case, it was, you know, attraction at first sight I don't think it was love at first sight but it was definitely ooh look at this shiny sexy lady person and that's kind of how we started now the reason I want to preface this is because not only is that a common occurrence I think for people to sort of start ds at the same time as a relationship but it's not often discussed how like difficult a romantic relationship. yeah <laughs> it's not often discussed how difficult it can be um, to build ds when you're also doing the other part it's not impossible we've done it but here's what ended up happening well in in addition to that piece
1: you also ended up with me who even though I had been in the scene for more than a decade I had not had the experience of being a 24-7 dominant so I was identifying still as a switch when you met me yeah well so I, I didn't have like predetermined contracts or expectations or you know dot 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 when it came to ds dynamics from the dominant side
0: also the dominant
1: experience
0: you did have was very short
1: i had plenty of experience topping people yeah right or having people in service to me but not having a ds 24 7 and romantic relationship intertwined yeah as a dominant, so
0: we had a person over here who has a good sense of what the scene is and what dominance can look like but hadn't built her own needs wants boundaries list yet or anything like that. Right. Um and was kind of moving intuitively which is very normal and very common. Um and then we had, you know, me, the stereotypical new person coming in who had a sense of what I wanted um in a partner and was open to partnership but not necessarily seeking it. I just, you know, she was a hot teacher. I wasn't going to not say hello. Um But so that being said, the the formula that I've just described is one that you might recognize in yourself or that you may know people who've done this before, right? We started our DS and uh, the way that DS began was a conversation about, you know, for play negotiation. We, We negotiated for play. We understood that she was the dominant and I was the submissive. We just kind of immediately started using those terms and we began to build the basics, the beginnings of protocols. And that's, again, very normal. So we did, you know... Started off with good mornings and good nights over text, and then we were living together in person. Um, one of the first things I learned to do for her was coffee service. This is an action. This is an act of service, right? I learned how to do coffee service and all the details of that. Um, and we we continued to go from there. We continued to go into, you know, I don't want you to be late, which, by the way, five years later, still working on it, but, um, you know, getting better. <laughs> um, I want you to drink water. Uh, I don't want you to drink energy drinks. Rules began to develop – many of which were designed to care for me or to provide structure for me. And, um, you know, other rules became foundations in our relationship, both romantically, sexually, and um, in DS, don't lie to each other, right? Try to be respectful to each other at all times. Don't make fools of each other. Don't cheat on each other. You know, the basic, like, fundamental rules that govern how to interact with each other were formed in the beginning. But... Other things were not so overt. So the way I found out that I was in a 24-7 DS relationship that was closed was about a month in. I went up to her and I said, is this a closed relationship? And she went, well, yeah. And I went, oh, okay. That's what happened. You don't remember this?
1: But I was still with other people. How?
0: It was closed for us. Like I wasn't to date other people without asking you or talking with you or... Um, I was it wasn't an open I wasn't just dating you and also free to date others I was in a committed relationship oh close to-
1: like an exclusive like this is a thing now like that we are together kind not of not just we are
0: together but is I'm not I'm not dating other people you're not starting to date other people without me knowing like you're yeah, neither you're of dating. us was
1: gonna like existing relationships were there but neither of us yeah. was gonna start any other
0: this wasn't a conversation we necessarily had I just went to her asked if it was so she said yes basically confirming that that's what she thought it was and then I just went cool let's do that <laughs> And that was kind of how that happened. Um, the same thing happened with, like, are we in 24 7 DS? Yeah. Oh, okay. Really? This is how it not happened. This. I do remember it. And now this wasn't, now, for Michelle's credit, I, I have a very good memory with these types of things. But also at the time, um, she was in a very transitory part of her life. So she was transitioning out of identifying as a switch and into identifying purely as a dominant. Um, she was transitioning out of a relationship with, um, the D-type she had at that time. And that was a kind of a relationship falling apart. She had a lot on her plate. And I can understand why she's forgotten some of the origins of our relationship. But Poor these conversations brain. happened in a way that wasn't, wasn't ideal, but it wasn't bad. But the problem that has happened We were this, flying
1: by the seat of our pants. <laughs>
0: yes. And we also didn't have any sort of discussion early on about what DS meant to us and what we wanted out of it. We didn't have any conversations early on about what we hoped for from it um, or what these words meant to us. I just took her classes and learned about the scene as she taught it and we discovered as things arose what they meant to us. And that's a very, again, I feel common experience, but I don't think it's the best practice. I think it's reactionary. We reacted a lot to our dynamic growing and we started to build a contract around these things. And I think it's very telling that the first several pages of our contract that were written were about how to take care of the home and rules about tasks, because those were the things that were the easiest to construct and that were the most obvious to write down about.
1: They were surface, they were surface level and therefore we could see them.
0: Yeah. And, and to be clear, our dynamic was growing for the first couple of years at a pretty steady pace and our contract was appropriate and reflected that. But um, when you realize three years in that you never had a conversation with each other about what the core of your foundation is, what your principles are, what your ethics are, what your needs are, this can become problematic in a dynamic. And I think one of the first things that really shook us was her revealing at some point that she wanted total power exchange, which is a, the most basically the most extreme form of of DS, and me revealing that I was comfortable with egalitarian, um, dynamic. Not necessarily that I needed egalitarian, but I had a more egalitarian view of how DS can be, and I wasn't necessarily comfortable with total power exchange. She's making a lot of faces right now. What's going on with you? You're saying confusing combinations of words. (laughs) Well, exactly. So to me, you can have power exchange, but there are spaces in your dynamic where equal voices are always there Um, and where equal rights are always distributed in exactly the equal way. It's not one person has more power than the other in certain areas. So, like, an easy way of explaining this that you understand is that when you were an S-type, you told people you have no power when it comes to my job and no power when it comes to my kids. Those were off-limit areas, and you had the power there, but also you were to be treated as an equal. There was no DS at present. Um, so,
1: like, certain things are off-limits. Yeah, I I get that now. The way you were saying it before sounded like egalitarian power
0: exchange. And I'm like, um... <laughs> Well, actually, egalitarian power exchange should be a thing because when there's a healthy egalitarian relationship, they're exchanging power and exchanging responsibilities in a way that is equal and manageable. It Ooh, is a power exchange, but it's not just DS power communication. Exchange. Yeah, it's not DS power exchange; it's just power right, exchange. Right, right, right. Um, but so for me, my desire to be in DS, especially when I first came in, was a sexually driven desire. I sexually wanted to uh-huh.
1: exchange. <laughs> you ended up with a demi ace person.
0: Yeah. Um, I sexually wanted to experience a dominant female being in control, and I was also interested in her having control in the relationship, but it was heavily bound in sexual attraction and sexual needs, and I had not considered how far I wanted that power to go and where the limits might need to be for myself, and I had not considered – what my needs were in terms of verbal affirmation or sexual affirmation in order to feel fulfilled in a dynamic. I didn't know those things about myself. I just didn't know.
1: I think also you didn't have as much focus on outside of the bedroom in terms of like service stuff or you know what I mean? Like domestic things. And I knew that I would be,
0: I knew that I would be doing domestic service and I was willing to learn, but it wasn't something I was seeking because of a fantasy. Mm -hmm. I was seeking providing domestic service because I thought that I needed to learn how to do that. I believed it was a skill set that I needed to have that I didn't. And I also am willing to help other people if I feel like I am getting what I need from them as well. So, when I went into DS, I, I already knew she may ask me to do tasks, um, but I think another important thing about myself that I kind of communicated but didn't communicate well was that I was looking for a parental role to be filled, and I think that that was kind of known, but it's kind of a weird thing to go up to your partner and be like, I need you to be my parent and also my partner and my dominant. I'm looking for a parental dominant, and that's not uncommon, but it's good to have that language. And to not have that language and to be kind of blurrily reaching for that and hoping for that, that can create some confusion and some issues. And if I had known these things about myself when we started, I could have communicated this better. And in the meantime, Miss Jen had certain notions about what DS looks like or what she wanted from it that she did not overtly communicate, such as the desire for eventual total power exchange.
1: Or close. I don't know if
0: I... I don't know. if 95% would, yeah. is still total power exchange. <laughs> so we, we, we hit like year three and we're, we were starting to have struggles and around year three was also quarantine and COVID, you know, and that impacted okay. every person on the planet basically. But for us, it kind of put into a microscope things that were not functioning well. And what we were kind of left with holding was this contract that described all of the actions and the external functions of DS, but we didn't have pillars or a foundation that were clear. And that was terrifying. It's kind
1: of like um, when you're looking at playing with somebody and you negotiate, like, here's the toys we want to use and here's the the things we want to do, Um, but you don't talk about what do we want the scene to feel like? Yeah. What what energy do we want in this scene? What do we want the outcome of the scene to be, right? It's kind of like that. It's skipping over that part is sort of what we did, not knowing it, not on purpose. No, we weren't but, like
0: negligent on purpose. Yeah. We just were new We people. just didn't know,
1: well, yeah. I wasn't new, but I was new to this. And so yeah. it's like, we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and it was that, the The depths of it the the foundational cornerstones that you know we may have had some not assumptions, but we may have had some ideas about them for ourselves in our own head, but not formulated in the form not formulated in the in the sense of a conversation between us to like figure it out until later.
0: Yeah. Um, In the meantime, on top of not having this foundation set and having to discover halfway through the relationship, oh, we might have major differences that could be insurmountable, insurmountable, basically. Um, We were having communication breakdown and also we were not able to understand how we were not meeting each other's needs and we were unable to get our needs met, if that makes any sense. Like I had needs that weren't being met. And so did she. And I didn't know exactly how I wasn't meeting her needs or how to fix it. And with my needs not being met, I felt like I was at a deficit of energy and I was losing confidence um, in our ability to function. And I think the same could be true of her. She had needs that weren't being met. She knew she wasn't meeting mine because I would tell her, but she didn't know how to fix it or how to adjust. And with her needs not being met, it just felt kind of fruitless. It was It was a vicious cycle. It's. It's this kind of secret pain. When you're in DS, you love your partner, it's 24-7, you live together, you build a life together, you have professional overlap even, right? It's a secret pain when you want things to work and you love each other and you depend on each other and you don't feel like your needs are being met and you don't feel like things are working and you need them to work and you want to and you're both standing there saying, I want to make this work, but you you just can't. You can't seem to figure out how to fix it. And, um, at our lowest points, we were arguing constantly. We were arguing like multiple times a week, every week, you know, and that's horrible because it wasn't, it wasn't our desire to argue, but eventually you can get to a point where neither one of you is functioning as your role. So I would definitely say at our lowest lows, she was not being my dominant, even if she was a name and she was doing certain things and we were still doing our rituals because we continued to do our rituals basically with almost no exceptions. But I was also not being her submissive. You know, neither one of us felt safe being those things. So we were, like, trying to hold to those roles, and we were holding out. Like, we weren't dissolving a relationship, but we were like, this is just not working. And that was really hard. Um, And the problem about this being hard is that it's very difficult to seek support when you are in this situation. Because um, not a lot of people want to talk about this, honestly. Like... I'm not loving talking about it because it's scary to talk about it. But the reason I want to is because I know there are other people out there who have had this struggle and they just don't speak about it. And then their relationship falls apart. They have no support, no help. And they just walk away and go, that was the hardest thing I've ever experienced and I felt so alone. And now I don't have my dominant or my submissive and I don't know what to do.
1: Well, and in a vanilla type relationship, when you're having trouble, it's there's so much access to resources, or at least more so than in power exchange dynamics, um, you know, or in kink, in kink dynamics. Um, and so I think, you know, when you're struggling in a vanilla relationship, it's like, okay, you know, there's a million books or a million podcasts or a million whatever that are all about self-help as well as relationship help and we don't have that as much for power exchange dynamics in terms of yeah we can get information on kink and power exchange generally speaking but there's not a lot of um like relationship kink specific or power exchange specific relationship help or like you know speaking to the struggles of those types of dynamics and what to do Um, so I think the resources are less and, you know, in terms of trying to find people in your life to talk to, you know, it's, it's not quite as easy. I mean, you, you want to feel like you're talking to somebody who understands and who also has maybe been through a similar experience. Um, and you know, depending on who you are, who you know, how involved you are in the scene, you may not have a ton of people that get it. Um, and I know for us, it was a tough time as well because, you know, our mentor was in a place of, through no fault of anyone, not quite as available um, to to be there. And, you know, there's no blame with that, but it's just something that's harder to find support when it's not just a vanilla relationship, but also a power exchange relationship.
0: So what we ended up having to do is really look at the wounds that it opened up, basically. Because when you look at protocols, like our, our contract is a really cool document, but it needs to be rewritten and reworked. Because what it does is it lists all of the branches that have sprouted off of our DS. But it doesn't list the trunk of the tree. It doesn't list the soil used to feed that tree. It doesn't list how to water that tree. Um, to take this entire thing out of metaphor, it doesn't talk about what our unified principles are. It doesn't talk about what we both want, what we both need. And it doesn't talk about communication standards. You know? So what we went ahead and we did is we sat down and we kind of had a very serious conversation Um about what the foundation should be. You know, because we had decided and kind of discovered, even though I, Eden, didn't necessarily have an automatic interest in 24-7 TBE, with Miss Jen, as long as my needs are being met, I was open to uh, increasing. towards that. Yeah, increasing towards something like total power exchange. But I would have to feel heard. I would have to feel like... I was respected and that my autonomy was still being protected by her. Um, I would need certain types of things from her, right? She, in turn, would need certain things from me. And I think a big moment that I had for myself personally was this realization that I have put so much pressure on myself and I have so many ideas in my head that I've been deconstructing for years about what it means to be an S-type or a submissive to someone, and I had this realization that whether or not I quote unquote fit what people think of when they think of a submissive, it is a choice I've made to be her submissive. I don't have to be submissive to anyone else, although I do sometimes have submissive energy with other dominant women. It just depends. But that's not the point. The point is that I've made a decision to serve and to you know seal myself to this other person. And if I don't actively look at the amount of space I can take up because I'm such a big personality, such a talkative person, such an assertive person. If I don't choose to dial down some of my assertiveness, she can't dial in. And that was something that I had never fully comprehended or noticed. And that takes a level of self-awareness and self-work that I was not going to be capable of when I first met her. Like as harsh as I sometimes speak about things I wish we had done differently when we were first structuring our dynamic – I didn't have what I have now. The tools I have as a person to do this dismantling and rebuilding this resuscitation. I have earned those tools because my dominant has supported me and given me a life where I have the space and time to do self-work. I guess it's a kudos to you because we sometimes will discuss at length, you know, what did we need to do differently and what do we need to do now? But I am a more full person. I mean, yes, I've also matured. I'm 31 now and I was 26 then or whatever. But I I know who I am and I feel confident in who I am because I have a partner and a dominant who feels confident in who I am, who has trained me to feel like I'm valuable and who has given me time and space to heal. Like that's my dominant. That's why I love her. That's why I chose her no matter how hard things have been this is a woman who wants me to be the best person I can be.
1: Yeah, for me, it was, I mean, there's a lot of things I can speak to. But, you know, part of it was understanding the balance of the dynamic, allowing for Eden to be, you know, for you to be who you are, and trying to figure out how to also be your dominant because, because you do have a large personality. You, you, you know, there's a lot of things that you came in holding very tight to, especially because you're new to all of this, right? It's not like you had time to sit in submission, so to speak, um, and to process any of these things already, just as I hadn't had time to sit in my dominance and process, things that I wanted or how to sort of create the space for the structure that was needed. And so it was this constant guessing game of kind of like double dutch hopscotch, when do I jump in sort of feeling of, how you know, when do I hold my ground as the dominant? When do I allow flexibility? And I find looking back, not at the time, I didn't see it. But looking back, I can see where it was such a guessing game for me that it led to a lot of inconsistency and it led to a lot of me also feeling inconsistent in the dynamic, feeling like just everything was sort of off. And I, I think that's why like the the recent structures that we now have, they create more of that balance and that understanding of kind of the when and how,
0: yeah. if you will? Well, the expectation that I had and that I think a lot of S-types also sometimes have is that when you get into your relationship with your dominant, that dominant is going to know how to counter you and train you and have a firm hand when necessary with you and a soft hand when necessary with you. And they're going to be able to intuit that because they're a dominant. So they will know because they're well matched to you. We're mind readers. (laughs) What to do. And even if you're not a mind reader, the dominant (laughs) will know best because they're dominant, right? And that's kind of this fantasy notion. And for me, I am hyperactively aware of what I would do with me if I were my dominant. Which, by the way, I'm sure in practice, it's way harder than this theory. These theories have built in my brain. I've seen my own dominant struggle to learn some of these skills because this is a huge task. It's a huge, tall order to be given a whole person who is an adult and be told, you're responsible for training this person, for learning how to be dominant to this person, for comforting this person, for guiding this person, for providing for this person. In our case, like we are financially bound together. She has a lot of responsibility and she's learning on the fly, you know, and that's that's a huge task. So that's, that's a huge mountain for her to climb. And as she's mentioned, like, I, I don't think I am the easiest starter submissive. I'm not the starter Pokemon I would give to a new dominant. Um, kind of, so, Miss Jen, her head. In Pokemon, you're supposed to collect them all, quote unquote. Right, Right. But when you're a kid and you're starting out in Pokemon, there are starter Pokemon that you get. You get like a Charmander, a Bulbasaur, a Squirtle, and sometimes if you're lucky you can get a Pikachu. But usually it's Charmander, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle. They are the easiest level Pokemon of the most basic elements you can get. You do not start off with a fucking Charizard, which is what Charmander turns into – when he's, like, leveled up a bajillion times. So the reason I'm saying that, I know you're upset because you don't <laughs> like the metaphor. The point is, I'm not a starter Pokemon, I don't think. I think that I come with challenges. I don't know if there's such a thing as a starter Pokemon, a type. to be real, I don't actually know if there is a sub out there who fits that, but I feel like because of who I am and the way I am, I am potentially more difficult. And in reality, what that actually means is that I have more resistance, more thoughts about what the world should be, and more uh, determination to assert and to protect certain things about myself than others might have. I didn't come into DS like eager to be led, necessarily. I came into DS eager to learn and eager to, as I said earlier, explore sexual fantasies of power exchange but I've always had a good sense of myself in terms of what I think is right, what I want to say, what I want to do. In any case, the realization for me settled in when I realized it's not my dominance job to master every aspect of me, and it's not my dominance job to know intuitively what I need all the time. Even though, As a fantasy, it would be nice if she just knew when to be firmly handed and knew when to be softer. If she knew when to give affirmation and she knew when to give punishment, if she just knew that, that would be great. But I know myself best because I am me. I know my mind best because I am me. And she has more going on in her life than an average person, I feel, and doesn't always have the time to sit there and fixate and focus on our dynamic. So... I have all of these tools and I also have a, an ability to manage myself. And when it comes down to it, this thought process of I am not a starter Pokemon or I am more difficult or I'm a more challenging S-type, that's not because it should be that way. It's because I wasn't mastering myself. The thought process for many S-types says I'm not supposed to master myself. My dominant is supposed to master me. No, no. You are supposed to master yourself. You are supposed to be responsible for yourself, to work on yourself. And I realized recently that I was placing too much hope and emphasis on her growing the ability to master me when in reality there's no force on earth that's going to overpower me and force me into submission. I have to submit. I have to choose.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of you are talking about your epiphany that you had and that's kind of, I think, along what you're talking about is, yeah, yeah, was, you know, I don't want a submissive who I have to break down and force into submission, right? I want willing submission. I want somebody to want to surrender and to make that choice. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, a lot of it was I felt like I didn't have the space to be dominant. Um, And, you know, as we've talked about privately, it's for you to come to that realization of I need to allow (laughs) space, right? I need to, I need to, you know, not shrink yourself because it's not about making yourself less than who you are, but maintaining a sense of self and creating space for me to be able to step in as your dominant it's a it's a, a nuanced kind of thing but um but yeah a lot of the time you know I, I mentioned earlier being sort of a vicious cycle right the cycle that would was like the snake eating its tail kind of a thing where it almost felt like there was no beginning no end because you know we would have like a conflict come up and Your focus was on, I need to make sure that I have a voice in this and that I'm, I'm heard, my opinion is heard. And, you know, I'm coming from the place of like, I just want to be able to say the thing and have you listen, right? In my ideal, whatever. And so that ended up making you feel like, well, I'm not being heard, which poked at that fear of not being heard. And so it was more quote-unquote, resistance, and then it was like, well, if you just weren't resistant, then we wouldn't be having this conflict, right? And then, well, if it, we weren't, ha- right, it just round and round and round well, and
0: round. I will say on my own behalf as well with this, though, there have been times in our relationship, and this was a separate issue, where I was not heard during arguments or during conversations, where my, my opinion was not respected as valid or valuable because you struggled to understand that I needed to feel validated even if you ended up disagreeing. I might still want a place to voice what I'm feeling or what I might want or need. And that's something that Ms. Jen has not in- been improving on dramatically recently. But well, that-, that
1: was a shift of of me taking you coming back with a differing opinion as you're arguing with me to shifting to a place of – you're expressing your opinion but i can disagree and hear you but also disagree yeah. and still make a, a final decision and that was a major shift because originally it was like okay well i've said this thing you have a differing opinion and now you're talking back or now you're arguing with me you know and that pushed the defense buttons and all of that and then you wouldn't feel heard and then you know so this whole yeah. back and forth and that was a major shift yeah. for sure
0: it certainly not a joke for an s type to feel like they their voice is not heard and their needs and opinions aren't fully respected that's a really serious problem. It can completely destroy trust and it can erode a dynamic and it's also no joke for a dominant to feel like they can't make small or large decisions without being constantly questioned and without um, constantly having to be forced to take up space you know so we were really. These two problems were large ones that we were experiencing and encountering and they would feed into each other. If you haven't caught on already, the foundation of what this is that we're describing is communication.
1: What I have noticed actually is you process out loud, right, internal versus external, chewer, spewer, all that jazz. I am a chewer. I, I prefer to process internally. You prefer to process externally right you you want to talk through it either with yourself in a mirror or with the other person what I have noticed is that when you are made to take more time
0: you often come to a different result that is true that is valid I I think of my brain as a hamster wheel, not to insult myself because hamsters can be rather dumb. I, I am able to rapidly come up with answers. Oh, I usually know, hamsters. I know my thoughts faster and my words come more quickly than some people, but it is true that I've never learned how to slow down and internally process or just externally process alone. Think about it and come back. Uh, there are benefits to being able to think on your feet quickly and benefits to being able to speak eloquently quickly um, it definitely helps when I'm leading groups. I I'm able to respond and understand and and process my feelings in a way that makes sense to other people and communicate them well. But when you put someone like me who is the hyperactive speaker, and you put someone like her who does need more time to process and also will come up with something good, but she just she literally needs a lot more time. It's, it's a nightmare when you are face-to-face communicating during a problem. It really is a nightmare. It, I would liken it to water or an ocean slamming against the cliffside.
1: Well, and I will say, and I've said this if anybody's been to you know my classes or whatever, it is very, very rare for me, at least in my experience in therapy practice, to meet a couple where both are the same type of processor. I don't know what it is. Like I feel like this is we're a drawn theory. Each other. It's yeah, seriously. Like I feel like chewers and spewers are drawn like opposites attract.
0: Like it seems to be a thing. I'm just saying. I don't, I don't know. know why. <laughs> I could definitely come up with some theories, but well, I don't yeah. want to be sidetracked <laughs> here. Um we were really struggling for some time with communication and it was devastating because if you've known us and you've seen us for the last five years, you know that we love each other. And um you know, we, nobody wants to be struggling, but it got to this point where I think we both feared the worst, which was the other person doesn't want to be in this dynamic. It doesn't help when life is hitting you at all sides. You know, we have had to miss out on a lot of opportunities to make income because of COVID and because of our home dungeon, you know, not having a location. We've been under a lot of stress. We also have kids. We have cats. Um, I went through medication changes and then got off of medications. I've been through job transitions. I've been, I've been, I've worked at two different places, actually three, three different locations over the three different jobs since I've known Miss Jen and we've moved. Technically I've moved four times, but we've moved together three. There's a lot of life transition that occurred and it's only over the past like year and a half that we've been stable and in one place getting used to what we want our life to sort of look like. And all throughout that time, we have clung to each other and refused to abandon each other, even as things have gotten hard. Um, but we've had those dark moments, and those moments of light have come from us understanding and realizing and believing, no matter, no matter how hard this is right now, when we get the opportunity to work together on this, we will. And we are still committed to trying this. You know, and I speak as somebody who has been through divorce. Miss Jen has as well. I have never felt in this relationship like we could not get to a place where we were okay. But I have seen the bare bones of where things are rotting or where things are damaged. And it's very scary when you're in a relationship and you look down and you understand this could be terminal if we don't address these problems. Um, So, spoiler alert, we have addressed the problems. It's not terminal, at least at this time. Um, I I fully believe that this relationship is one that I'll be in until one of us kicks it. Probably me. Probably you, because you're young. You're, you're younger. <laughs> I'm I, younger. <laughs> I'm younger, so you'll probably go first. But um, I I believe that we have what it takes to build it, and I want to share from a positive standpoint um, what we have done and have been doing to try to adjust and to fix things that were not working well. Um, so I want to go over this for a second. As you heard, our communication was struggling. Um, but also we were we we have both been doing a lot of I think self-work. And not just me. I have gone through a time period recently where I have been doing a crazy amount of introspection, self-work, um self-care, etc., and I've been also trying my best to recognize that my dominant needs space for self-care and self-work and have been encouraging that in her, which I hope has been helpful to her. I think I think it's made a difference. But I also think my dominant's been holding herself accountable, frankly. I think my dominant's been doing self-work. And when you have two people in a relationship who are intelligent adults who are willing to do self-work and willing to be humble enough to admit that neither of them is performing where they want to be, you have two people who can fix something. Um, So what we did was we sat down and we said, what do we need in our relationship that's not here right now um, to get us on the right track? What is the foundation that we didn't have that we will have now that we're going to build and and uh, and move forward with. So, <clears throat> the first thing that we have in our new foundational structure is sacred companionate time that is not interrupted with any sort of argument, complaint, or report about things that need to be adjusted or fixed. No emotional labor is basically allowed during these designated companionate times. This is like our morning walk and our morning coffee. We don't talk about work. We don't talk about things that could cause arguments. And there's a point in the evening where we don't talk anymore about those things either. That sounds very obvious, but it's unbelievable how much shit would permeate our time together that's so valuable and so like precious. Um, It's unbelievable how much of that time was compromised by arguing. Or by, by trying to metacommunicate and trying to do emotional labor, basically, when we weren't awake yet or we just wanted to relax. So we made it a rule that there are certain times that we are done working and done doing emotional labor for the day. And the only focus during those times is being together or being with the kids.
1: Yeah, because a lot of times we would find that arguments would erupt when, and it's especially hard, right, when you both work from home. You're overlapping pretty much 24-7 and you're so busy with things like work, you could honestly – like we could wake up, roll out of bed, start working and not stop until we're exhausted and probably still not get everything done every day that we need to.
0: And might I add, that was what was happening and that's what she's done at her worst is just work, 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 crash, wake up, work, 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 crash.
1: So, you know, one thing that we found too, though, was that if there was a problem and it could be something small, right? Like it could be, I don't know, a task that didn't get done or whatever, but also without this time structure, it would get brought up. Like if I'm in the middle of working or whatever, or if she's in the middle of working and like one of us brings up something and it's just the time and place issue, um, was also not ideal and so this allowed on the on the opposite side of that coin for companion at time where that type of conversation or issues being brought up are just no longer allowed
0: yeah and the reason i advocate for this and i would suggest this to anyone who is either currently in a dynamic that needs restructuring needs resuscitation or who is looking at building one Your time together that is companionate and happy is super important, especially if you live together and you face a lot of life's challenges together because there's always going to be something going on that's not pleasant. Honestly, I'm sorry, but like trying to pay bills is not pleasant. Making sure that you get to your work on time and that you get shit done is not pleasant. You know, there's always going to be a million problems knocking at your door. If you let those problems into your time together and you allow the most important and like special moments in your relationship to be overtaken by grief and anger and frustration, what do you have left? You're just miserable all the time. So that was the first thing we implemented. And it's been a relief to know that we're guaranteed to have that time to just be together because that's what we work for. You work for those happy moments. And so we, we started to protect those really fiercely. Um, Another thing that we worked on, the next section that we worked on, is just making sure, as she mentioned, that when we are working, there is sacred time and space around work, so that our work isn't impacted, so that we can get our shit done. You know, and and that has also majorly helped. If you live together, it's important to have certain spaces and times that just cannot be compromised or interrupted. Even if you're sharing space, it doesn't mean that you need to always be in each other's space. So that was another thing.
1: So kind of connected to that is – You know, we wake up, we have our morning walk, our coffee time that's not supposed to be interrupted by anything that even could possibly turn into any kind of conflict or negative whatever. Um, And so we've also set a time at the end of coffee time for a time limited, right, 10 to 15 minutes where if either of us has anything to report, And this could be any issues that came up like the day before or even that morning, Um, any reports in terms of, oh, the kids didn't finish this thing that they were supposed to or whatever. But we have 10 to 15 minutes to basically report to each other anything that has come up and the what what used to happen is if one of us reported something, we would just start talking about it and then that would possibly sometimes, unless I had like a an appointment, turn into a two long or three conversation, hours. two or three hours, conflict, all this kind of stuff. Then I'm even more frustrated because I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, like I have so much work to do, right? So this way we've decided, okay, we have ten to fifteen minutes to report to each other. If we feel like we can resolve whatever it is within a few minutes fine but if not then we we push it forward to either to basically another time it's called that redirection is more, yeah we redirect it to another time that is more appropriate um, hopefully within 24 hours that's the goal um, sometimes life may not throw us that opportunity but the goal is within 24 hours to push it forward to another time that would more appropriate and that we're more ready for it, right? Because a lot of times my frustration level would increase just based on the fact that I'm suddenly in this long conversation or argument out of the blue when my plan had been to be working or getting my own shit done, right? So we push it forward. If we can't figure it out in just a few minutes, we push it forward to another appropriate time. And when we set that time, and we say, okay, we're supposed to reconnect about this issue. We also look at, okay, we have an hour to an hour and a half to try to work this out. And if we can't, we will push it again. And it's – Echo just mailed it something. Um, Those birds. <laughs> and so by doing this, I know it, it can sound kind of not stale, but like very – Clinical. Yeah, Clinical. But what it does, it's kind of like having a radar, which we'll get to those in a second. But it's sort of like, okay, we we can hold space and we can create space that we know is happening, that we can we can actually be of the right mind to do, which means that the discussions themselves are going to be more productive. And we know, you know, okay, this is the time for this. I'm not supposed to be working right now because we scheduled this for twelve o'clock to have to continue this conversation. The
0: other benefit of this is that you are forced to have a cool off time. If you are getting angry or irritated, because we have never succeeded in having a conversation that ends well when we're both frustrated and angry, it just doesn't work. I'm not at my best and she's not at her best period. Nobody is at their best when you are angry or when you are feeling unheard or hurt. Um, And we have legitimately been able to have what would have been nightmarish arguments Uh, solved in 20 minutes with laughter because we redirected the conversation um this is something that's newer to our dynamic because it was very difficult for me to respect redirection in the past and difficult for her to hold to her guns and implement um but say that again slower i could barely understand oh it was very difficult in the past for me to respect redirections and it was difficult also for her to hold them implement them and remember to call for them
1: For me, as an internal processor, I need that time before I'm going to be able to discuss something in a way that works, that is productive. And so I need that time. And I was never getting that time. And (laughs) that's what I really needed. And for Eden, it was not so much that. She needed that time to process, although what what I am finding, at least my observation, is that having that time has actually helped you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but helped you to, even if it's not so much about continuing to process the issue, but coming down emotionally and being in a more reasonable headspace to be able to discuss it.
0: For me, it's definitely that because when I said I process more quickly and you said no, I do actually typically figure out what I think and what I feel within honestly seconds and I might cool off and even do externalized processing on my own and still feel exactly the same. But the difference is... Sometimes you feel different. Sometimes I do. That's true. But I would say more than half the time, I already know what I think and what it's going to land on. Um, But what you said that's hundred percent true is that my emotions and my ability to be calm about it and to hear and be open to other feedback that I have to get to after cooling down. Um, the other piece, um, the other piece of our structure that we changed and added in and that we are now working on is this concept of consequences and affirmations. We split them apart in our structure you know, we, we have a section in our structure now for punishments and consequences, how to implement them, what to expect, the range of possible consequences um, or suggested consequences, et cetera, right? Um, but we also have a section for the need for verbal affirmation. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the two of these things for a second. When I was sitting down and thinking about my own strengths as a submissive, one of my strengths is building systems. One of my strengths is writing things down is is all of this type of organizational stuff. I came up with this list of consequences and I came up with um, these things and I brought them to her and she reviewed them and we made an agreement of uh, moving forward about what punishments are, when they'll be used, why, and also the importance of coming together after them. We also did, as we have in the past, talk about verbal affirmations and things like that. And um
1: Well, and I want to say too that a lot of this came after years of trial and error as well of trying out different rewards and punishments and all that kind of stuff and kind of figuring out what worked, what didn't, what kind of, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: I realized living with my dominant, observing her, watching her daily life and growing in my own comprehension of myself and the world that I'm in, that my dominant doesn't often praise herself or recognize strengths in herself. And when I understood that I was being treated the way I was being treated because she treats herself just as harshly, that was a light bulb moment for me and it was a heartbreaking moment for me because I I could finally understand I'm not going to get what I need from her until she starts to give it to herself. And that's a form of self-care and self-acknowledgement that is a, a lot harder to build than simply, hey, say good job more often. you know. But it is something that we've begun to do, um, and I also feel like my dominant is holding herself more accountable. She's talked with our, our mentor, and she's done a lot of work, and she's continuing to work. But um, that's hard to find out, and it also does inspire compassion as a submissive. If you realize your dominant is such a perfectionist and is such a workaholic, That she can't see what she did in a day that was good. She just only sees what she didn't do. That's a glass half empty type of person in that way.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. This came up last night over dinner too. And in terms of coming, you know, I come from the perspective of you don't get, not you, but like the general you, you don't get praised for things you're just expected to do. Like you've agreed to take out the trash every day and some and we hear this actually from vanilla people a lot where like a lot of why like heteronormative situations where a lot of wives are like oh yeah my husband took out the trash and wanted a medal for it you know that kind of stuff and you know I was raised in a generation of like well if you're expected to do it great do it you're supposed to do it because of this very ingrained philosophy that I grew up with and that was a generational thing as well but it led to this perfectionism and um, expectations right which by the way is the topic of the next view from the top d type support group plug (laughs) plug um (laughs) but it it led to it led to me being a perfectionist Having high expectations, as you said, of myself first, right? So I was like this before I met you. I was um. already like this. <laughs> so um, so to to take those things that I that were so ingrained and that I did apply to myself and still apply to myself, I was applying those things also to you.
0: And also in the beginning, you were applying standards to me that you could hit. Not acknowledging at the time that mine, I couldn't reach it. Right. Like I had spent how many years being a single mom, mom, mom,
1: being a single mom, you know, living on my own independently for years, having dependents, like all the, you know, household chores were something I had to do. I was a stay at home mom while I was still married. So like cleaning and cooking and like doing all these things. So I had years of experience being able to hit these marks. And so, yeah, like meeting you, you were in a very, very different place. You know, when I met you, you did
0: not have that same experience. Um, When you met me, I had never really washed a full load of dishes alone. I mean, I wasn't going to call you out, but... I will call myself out. (laughs) I didn't do any tasks or chores in my family home. I sought DS because I wanted to learn those skills and wanted to be able to be loved and trained to do better. But I knew it would be hard for me. So for me, I didn't necessarily need to be praised for doing the dishes, but I definitely needed to be given time to learn how to take on chores and tasks. You know, and I struggled. I struggled for sure. And so,
1: like the the perfectionism led to then expectations that I learned later were just too high. Like...
0: Not eventually too high. They should be eventually there. But just, yeah. yeah. That's what I
1: mean. Um, and so, you know, having to adjust for that. and it's And it's just, you know, I struggled with the frustration of that because it's kind of like, if any of you are listening who can relate to this, like, let's say... And we're, I don't know, we, we always come back to dishes, but let's say you're the one that always loads the dishwasher. Right. And you're like, you know what? Can somebody else load the dishwasher? But then they load the dishwasher. You can relate to this now. And you're like, oh my God, they didn't load it right. I might as well just do this myself. So frustrating. (laughs) So, you know, there's that frustration of, you know, trying to teach you things or whatever but also struggling with the frustration of, oh, my God, it's not the right way, right? Yeah. And that's a very human thing, I think. Well, at least type A humans, I don't know. But um, I think it's a common thing that, that a lot of people can relate to regardless of their dynamic. But it, you know, it's it's hard for me. You know, it's hard for me to lower expectations to be more realistic about where I need to meet you at when I have always held myself to such high expectations but also had the time to get there you know
0: I think and did that make sense yeah that made sense I think what I would say about this is that I when you're a dominant and you have a submissive that you are taking responsibility for you 're training them, you want them to be the best they can be. you want to get them to certain standards. You still have to water that person as if they are a plant, and every plant needs different watering. every plant needs different amounts of sun, every plant needs different types of babying. you know literally plants sometimes have to be babyed to grow. some plants do not some plants will grow in crazy soil and in crazy Cactus. conditions. Cactuses are an example right. <laughs> You can still kill a cactus, but sorry, I'm just speaking from personal experience. Um, But the point is, when you are dominant, you do need to have the patience and the willingness to slow down enough to teach and to love your submissive and to see them as they are. And I feel like in some respects, you always have done that, but in others, you've struggled to do that. And I think it can be hard because submissives are not actually children, it's not like you're dealing with a four year old and you expect four year old behavior. Submissives are all adults. But just I think that's like,
1: sometimes the hardest part. Yeah, you know. Like so, I would have more patience with a child. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but also some of my capabilities may have been as if I were a child. And I think that's that's difficult to understand that when you're training a submissive, it's like starting from square one to a degree. Um it's not really healthy to not have consequences for your submissive because even though they are an adult and you might wish that you could just talk to them and tell them you're disappointed and move on, it's affirming, it, re- it reasserts the dynamic, and it also allows for there to be a consequence that is fulfilled and you can move on. It, all of those things happen when you have punishments, and when you refuse to use punishments and consequences, it feels very much as the submissive, like the dominant doesn't care.
1: Mm, I just want to break in here and say that there are Dynamics that are non-punishment based, and that is also fine. Whatever works for you. You know, when it comes to punishments and things, part of it was as we tried out different forms of punishments and rewards in our relationship, there was a lot of that didn't work, Um, which Of course, for me was like okay, well, maybe it just doesn't work. Generally speaking, um, because we've tried this and we've tried that, and that hasn't worked, and so there was partially that piece. um, But also, you know, when there were times that like I would get discouraged because there would be times where I would enact some kind of of punishment, and you know, if Eden didn't agree or was just upset about (laughs) being corrected I guess you know or whatever then there was even just sometimes there was conflict that created from that, that got created from that but sometimes it was just like her being not bummed out about it but like having that kind of disgruntled pout response but yeah I mean honestly it's kind of like we talked before about how we would have conflicts that would cut apart our day when, you know, we're, we're both busy and I had work to do and I would get frustrated. So yeah, I think a lot of being conflict avoidant was about, I don't want to get into this right now. Like I don't have time for this. I, this is not a time and place. And so before having these structures in place, that was a lot of it was like, okay, like I don't want to deal with this right now because I have a million things to do. And so now that we have the structures in place to be like, okay, this is when we talk about these things, blah, blah, blah. That makes it like, okay, fine. I don't have to deal with this right now. We can push this forward if we need to, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of the punishment piece, I think what is nice now is that we have a structure in place in terms of, we've looked back over the years. We've looked at things that Did work, didn't work. She knows herself best in terms of what actually made a difference or what was actually a punishment, as opposed to something that maybe felt more like a punishment or something. And also suggest
0: new punishments that I knew would impact me. Yeah, because
1: there's been times where we've tried a punishment and she's like, "Oh, that was that was kind of a turn on actually," and I was like, "Well, shit, (laughs) that didn't work." So because of all that experience, you know, she came up with a list of here's things that would actually feel. Like they would make a difference, like they would make, no pun intended, impact, right? Um, And so we have this list that also I can refer to because part of it too was just coming up with like what would be a good punishment for this thing and feeling like I always had to be creative and come up with new ideas um, and now we just kind of have a list that goes in, in escalation. Well, and
0: she can do things off the list if she wanted to, right, but it's just, but a, it's, it's something it takes some like, of the pressure off <laughs> yeah. giving my dominant, these tools, consenting to ways to allow her to navigate the conflict and putting the reins into her hands so that she knows I can and should lead through conflict. It erases the, the instinct she sometimes has to avoid the conflict just for the sake of brevity. Right. But um, we haven't had to use these punishments, luckily. Uh, they haven't come up yet. And it's very rare that a punishment will be called for. But I think the other thing, too, is it, it is unrealistic to expect your S type to be happy when you enact a punishment. Because most likely, if your S type is being punished, they are in their feelings, they are having a hard time with something. They might be confronting something that is difficult for them from their past that's causing their behavior to not be appropriate, but they might have roots in what's going on that need to be assessed and pulled apart at a healthier time. It's not reasonable to think that your S-type is going to be overjoyed when you say, I'm halting this, go into position, and there's going to be a punishment. Nobody wants to be punished in that type of context. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a punishment, right? But it is the dominance, I feel, job, especially if it's been agreed to, to do that. Because that punishment, while it might not be fun for the s type at the time, long-term, Let's see s type no, I love you, I have control. I have the reins when you lose control and you are out of out of out of whack and you are emotional and you can't see straight. don't worry, I'm here. I can see where we're going. I won't let us go off the rails and This kind of leads me to my last two things that we have set up that we are really focusing on that we are using as a foundation um The first is radar meetings. we have talked about these. Throughout our entire relationship, because we used to do radar meetings once a month, and radar meetings are basically a formatted check-in where you verbally sit down and you follow a, a system that someone else has set up about, you know, how are you doing? Do you have? Are, what's what's going on? What are the positives? What are the negatives? What do we need to work on? And we used to do this once a month. We would sit down, lock ourselves in, and these radar meetings would last three to four hours. Credit to Multi they're yeah. the ones that came up with it. It's a great concept, but for our relationship, radar meetings started to become dreaded because we could not get through a radar meeting that, that would last less than two hours. And also we almost always argued. It would degrade into our, it would, sorry, it would degenerate into arguing. Um, and it was really hard. It was really hard. And we, we discovered that during times of hardship in our life where the world was hard and we were facing that together, we sometimes wouldn't do our radar check-ins because we were distracted. So we, we've gone through two time periods where we weren't doing our check-ins as we should have, and our relationship did suffer as a result. So we started to look at this, and one of the solutions we've come up with is that we communicate better over written communication and email. We just do it better. It, it guarantees a buffer for frustration and emotion and anger And it also guarantees time to process. And Ms. Jen presents differently in text than sometimes she does in verbal. And for some reason, I also do that better in writing with bigger conversations. So the first thing that we've done is we've moved heavy conversations that we feel shouldn't be discussed in person unless necessary into email. And then the second thing we've done is we've changed how we do radar. So we now do radar check-ins mostly once a week we're still getting that ironed out because our weeks are so busy it's hard to keep up with it once a week radar but we're just doing that for now to kind of get ourselves solidified and these check-ins happen over email and what we do is we just list hey how are you so a greeting here are my favorite things that happened this week and an overview of what happened this week here are some things that came up that I want to work on or any issues I might have and then it closes with I love you an affirmation and Ms. Shen receives this email And within two days, she gives me one back. And we we can go back and forth in this email. And hopefully by the end of the week, we have resolved anything that came up. And if not, we move it to the next radar or we schedule a time in person to talk about it. But that is now how we do our radar check-ins. And this is still being implemented in our relationship. But it's kind of a relief to know that we can have this frequent communication in a more simplified form. Again, greeting, positives, things that need to be worked on, closing. That is the radar check-in. Last but not least, something that we are both working on that is very important in a dynamic uh, is owning mistakes. Owning mistakes, acknowledging when you fucked up, and saying sorry. I know that this seems very obvious, but I think also from a dominant's perspective, it can be especially challenging to admit when you've erred. I'm really proud of my dominant because she is working on this. And it matters to me and the reason I'm proud that this is my dominant is because my dominant always has been a person who will strive to be the best person she can be. And this is a deeply rooted thing. And that's kind of what I wanted to say on closing with this is that DS brings up the deepest roots of who we are. The longer you stay in a DS dynamic and the, the deeper it goes, the more you're going to come up against problems that you did not foresee in yourself that might be – seeds that were planted when you were very small fear of failure fear of rejection fear of not being heard all of these things come up and they can play a major role in the destruction of your ds or you can play a major role in using that ds to deconstruct them and that's where we find ourselves now uh, five years in looking at ourselves going we love each other we are well matched. We are incredibly well balanced. I think because I am so assertive and 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 because of some of my skill sets, I'm a great partner for my dominant because I'm able to work with her and hold my own and run certain things in her behalf. I'm able to step in and do a lot of leadership things on her behalf. And she is a great partner for me because she is so funny, so kind. She is incredibly patient. And she is somebody who focuses on growth in herself and in other people. You know, I, I've never had a day pass where I questioned, is this somebody that I want to serve? That's never happened. You know, um, so when you have all of those things there, it is possible to look at your foundation and say, what do we got to fix to support growth? And that's kind of what we've done and what we're working on right now. All of these other things, the protocols, the rules, the the tasks you do – all of these things are external expressions of a dynamic. But without the dynamic feeding you, without being in balance with your partner, all of these branches, all of these baubles, all of these things you do in action, they can become meaningless. They can become routine, not ritual. You know, and that is really sad when that happens. So if you are struggling in a dynamic right now, or if you are looking to build one, or if you are doing great, and this was just kind of food for thought, um, you don't have to struggle alone. I don't think we should be doing this in alienation. I think it should be demystified the 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 belief that twenty four seven DS is some sort of high form of DS or some sort of um, you know impenetrable. I don't know, like ideal, because it's very hard to balance, and it's very normal. To struggle.
1: And we're probably doing the hardest thing, which is 24 7 DS, living together full time, working from home full time. We are so overlapped. There's teenagers involved. There's also kids. (laughs) Yeah. Like we, (laughs) this is not, this is not easy. It's not an easy situation that we have put ourselves in, but I don't think it's supposed to be. It's, it's not supposed to be difficult either no. but it is supposed to take some work it is supposed to take some effort well, and you know as much as we we had we went through the pandemic you we, we mentioned this right pandemic financial hardship not just from sanctuary being closed but also from ill cats um, but you know moving all these stressors and we have gotten through those things and we are still working on and improving our relationship and our dynamic
0: with all of that being said, we really hope that you enjoyed this kind of um, pier beneath the waters of of the ocean. It's a of... vulnerable episode. It is. It is. And yet I don't feel tearful or anything like that because we're already standing on the other side of having done a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. We're coming to share this with you all now because I know for to me – To give I... you hope.
1: What? <laughs> to give you hope.
0: To give you hope and to show also like – It really is not a smooth sailing like I get comments a lot from people which are very touching but like oh my god I saw your DS and I just really want that. I want what you have and I'm always kind of like that's really interesting that people say that because I don't want to take that away from them. That's a gift to be given from somebody and it's a gift to be able to give that people see something that they want. But it is not something that comes organically. You have to be willing to constantly the hard work behind it. You have to be willing to do a lot of work to maintain something like this and to keep it healthy. Um, So, I wish all of you the best. Whether you are in DS or out of it, whether you are are um, doing great in any relationship you're in or struggling, Um, sometimes it is the right choice to walk away from a relationship, and sometimes it's the right choice to roll up your sleeves and do some work. And sometimes it's not a right or wrong choice. There are paths in front of you, and you can take whatever you want. But I know for me, I feel like I'm walking down a path with a partner that I have deliberately chosen who I have faith in. I have faith in my dynamic and in, in what we're building, and I'm proud to still be standing here and I'm excited, truly excited for the future of my dynamic because we are we are experiencing a time of growth and a time of transition and change that is positive um and we have these new systems and structures to thank for that um yeah yeah well thank you for sticking with us if unless you say for it out but then you wouldn't be
1: hearing this so thank you for sticking with this and, hearing this um you know yeah i hope that you got something out of this at the very least maybe you just feel closer to us um but we appreci- appreciate all of our precious kinklings And uh, we'll we'll talk at you next time.
0: Of course, we cannot leave this episode without thanking Lena, Tussled, and Sid, our amazing team of people who back us up and make sure this podcast is possible. And
1: of course, our shout-out for Pudding, because Pudding is a... What's it called again?
0: Call Me Kinkling. Call Me
1: Kinkling on the Patreons. And so she gets a
0: shout-out every time. Yeah, thank you so much to our team. You guys are the bestest. And thank you to all of our listeners. Be well, precious kinklings.